word, uh, our sermon text for today is Galatians chapter 5. It's Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 24. Galatians 5, 19 through 24. Hear the word of the Lord. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we are still in the midst of a pandemic. We've, we've been in it for several weeks now, and um, we may have a long ways to go. We truly don't know. But we ask you for patience in the midst of this, just as you've been patient with us. We ask you for self-control as you exercise that with us and kindness with others as our patience wears thin and our ability to endure grows thin just as you've done that with us. Father, we ask this morning as we come to this passage that you would empower us to put away the flesh and live in the spirit. We are dependent on you. We're dependent on you to work, we're dependent on you to move, dependent on you to empower and to help us endure. And so I pray this morning that as we turn to your word, that you would open our hearts and our eyes to see the goodness and the grace found in Galatians 5, 19 through 24. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. So, I just want to say first that I am so incredibly glad to be able to proclaim God's word to you this morning. It's not something that uh, I get to do just, just very, very often, just by nature of the roles we have in the church, but I am so glad that I'm able to do it today, and so glad that I'm able to proclaim God's word to you today, even though I, I can't see you for the most part, um, except for the, the two people in the room that I can see right now. Um, I want to say that I'm, I'm glad to do that this morning. But back when I was in high school, my first job, uh, my entry into the workforce was washing dishes at a mom and pop place. It was, you know, really simple kind of job, but it, it basically just worked like this. Um, I would show up and there would be just a massive pile of dishes. Think like Aladdin in the Cave of Wonders, but instead of treasure, dishes. 
and you just start washing, and you keep washing, and then you keep washing, and eventually it's done. And my method of coping with that was uh, basically just to say, okay, Avery, just bear with it, wash one dish at a time, don't quit, and eventually you get to go home with money. And interestingly enough, I think that sometimes on my worst days, uh, my response to the pandemic we've been in has, has been somewhat similar. It's like I wake up in the morning and I'm like, okay, Avery, just do your best and, you know, get the things you got to get done. Um, do it as joyfully and skillfully as you possibly can. And eventually you get your old life back. It's like a survival mode that I've put myself into to, to try to cope with, with some of the, the challenges, the fact that the days are just running together and that sort of thing. But what that does, what that does is obscure the main overarching goal of my life for me. And ultimately, the main overarching goal of my life, the direction I should be pointing, hasn't changed. It's growth in Christ's likeness, and it's reproducing that in other people. And if you're in, excuse me, if you're in Christ, you've been called to the same thing. We, as a church, have been called to that. We've been called to growth in Christ-likeness and making disciples, reproducing that in others. And bound up in that call, in that mission of our life, is a great and incredible truth of the gospel that God has given us the power to change. And as we look at Galatians 5, I want to remind you yet again, as Matthew has said several times, and I believe Josh said as well, if we get Galatians 5, it has the potential to change us and change our city. We have the potential for change here explained to us in the book of Galatians and in Galatians 5 as well. Because throughout the rest of the book, Paul has been explaining gospel doctrine in chapters 1 through 4. He's been explaining um, what the, the gospel is and how it plays out in our lives and how it is... Uh, I was different and, and distinct from a legalistic uh, kind of way of viewing our lives. And then he, he turns to a degree of practicality in Galatians 5. In Galatians 5, he, he moves from explaining this, this gospel doctrine, helping us to understand um, what the gospel says, and move towards a gospel culture, giving us mandates and directives for helping us move um, from this gospel doctrine that we know and create a gospel culture, a culture of flourishing. And so as he's done that, he's now kind of having the balance, on one hand, individual freedom, where Christ has set us free from the burden of law-keeping, that he has um, given us a, um, he's given us freedom, he's given us, um, he's given us, a new life. He has given us grace where we would expect wrath and, and a need to um, need to please and implicate him. So on the one hand, you've got individual freedom. But on the other hand, you've got the well-being of the community. Because if these Galatian believers were just allowed free reign to do whatever they want, surely that would bear some negative consequences for the community. Surely that would um, threaten to damage the community. And so you can see Paul's focus is to balance these two between, on the one hand, individual freedom, on the other, 
community well-being. Just as Matthew read last week in verses 13 through 15, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And so, I believe that where this, this kind of comes home and in practicality, where it comes to rest, where we have both individual freedom, where we have, we have freedom in Christ, and where we have community well-being, where we have the flourishing of a community, comes uh, through understanding what our flesh produces and what the Spirit produces in us. And that's why we come to the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. I want to give a caveat about um, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit and the way we typically approach it so that I hope this morning as we, as we study this and as we seek to apply it, that we do so the right way. There can be a temptation when we come to the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit to run just immediately to, um, to applying it in our life, to just immediately think, okay, well, I've got my list of don'ts, I've got my list of do's, and now I can, I can make off and, uh, and do what I'm supposed to be doing, and we can call it a day. This reminder on uh, faith and on grace um, through the rest of Galatians has been helpful, but now we've gone to the end of it, now I know what I'm supposed to actually do, now uh, I can apply Galatians. Well, we have to be careful, because if we're not careful, we'll be tempted to emphasize product over source. We'll be tempted to, uh, we'll be tempted to um, emphasize what we do rather than what drives us to do the things that we do. Um, to, kind of, to kind of illustrate, uh, we can make this mistake a little bit. For those of you who don't know, um, I went to a Christian college. And every year, they would, they would have a big awards ceremony. And my dear, sweet alma mater that I love so much and I respect so much and I only want the best for uh, would give out an annual um, Fruit of the Spirit Award. Um, and I, I don't want to sound like sour grapes because, full disclosure, I didn't get it. Um, but but it, it kind of goes against... Uh, the, the spirit that I think Paul is setting up here by elevating an individual over the group and by um, emphasizing um, product over source. So we want to be careful and we want to approach this um, understanding that Paul is giving us this list to be kind of a diagnostic, to help us see um, where we are seeking the good life, whether we're seeking it through uh, our flesh or whether we're seeking it through the spirit, whether we're using our freedom as an opportunity to produce unrighteousness in the flesh, or whether we are humbly submitting to the Spirit and living in goodness. So, with that said, we will explore both of these options, life in the flesh, life in the Spirit. We'll compare Paul's descriptions to them, and we will seek to understand which way is better and lift that out in, in our lives. So we come first to life in the flesh. That's described by Paul through the works of the flesh in verses 19 through 21. Let me read that for us again. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. 
sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, um, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul is here giving us a list of the works of the flesh to describe for us what life in the flesh looks like. Now, before we go any further, I think it's important that we define what, what Paul means by flesh. I think most of us get an idea just based on context, but I just want to clear it up to make sure we're all on the same page about it. When Paul is talking about the flesh here in Galatians chapter 5, he's not, he's using a metaphor, obviously. He's not referring to, you know, the skin on our bones. Otherwise, the solution would be a lot more soap and lotion and a lot less, you know, Holy Spirit. Um, so uh, he's using a metaphor to refer um, to our, our physical state or our natural state, the way that we are without the intervention of God in our lives. Our flesh continually produces sin. That is what uh, the flesh produces in ourselves, our natural state, without intervention, um, as we produce um, whatever we desire, whatever we will, we continually produce sin. Life in the flesh, when we consider um, the source of our actions, we consider life in the flesh as a source of our actions. We can think of it like a restaurant with unsanitary kitchen conditions. You know, like a, a restaurant could have incredible quality food. You know, they can have great prices, great portions, great service. But if their kitchen is unsanitary, their product will continually be contaminated. Uh, it will continually be a bad product. And in the same way, if we live through the flesh, if we use our liberty to live through the flesh then we will continually produce a bad product. Well, what is that product? Well, that is what Paul describes as the works of the flesh. We could divide this list up um, probably several different ways, but I think the most helpful to understand it, understand the content of it, would be to um, understand it uh, as, as divided into three non-sequential, though almost sequential uh, categories. We see sin against ourselves, sin against God, and sin against one another. So first of those categories is sin against ourselves. Now, that begins with the first three in this list, um, sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. And that is three very general terms, very general terms meant to, uh, meant to describe uh, just sexual immorality um, in general. And it's, it's kind of interesting that he does that. He uses these three really general terms. And if you look at the list, some things are kind of specific, but most of it is pretty general because he's trying to avoid us, um, us setting up another law uh, through the works of the flesh that he's listing here. But at any rate, he lists um, acts of sexual immorality, those things that um, threaten to destroy our relationship with others, but also destroy ourselves as we often do them in secret, as we corrupt our, our own self by, um, by hiding or lie from others and by um, indulging ourselves in whatever we see fit. And similarly, at the end of the list, the last two things he lists, drunkenness and orgies, or the second uh, word there, orgies, we could probably just translate better as bouts of drunkenness. That was probably what Paul meant in this context, considering he just said drunkenness. But uh, regardless, um, there's a couple of sins related to the drink, the way that we would um, abuse substances again, 
um, chasing uh, our own desires and, um, and doing so to our own harm. So we see that we have sin against ourselves. We also have sin against God. Now, we know that every sin is sin against God, but uh, some sins are especially targeted towards God in their, um, in their rebellion and in their consequences. So the two that he lists here, um, idolatry and sorcery, are good examples. Idolatry, of course, being uh, worship of another God other than Yahweh, and um, sorcery uh, attempting to manipulate God's world for our gain without God's intervention. Um, so regardless, both of these uh, seek to elevate our own place in God's world without the need for God in it. It's seeking to make our own way and our own desires without God who gave us this world. So we see that we have sin against others. We see that we have um, sin against God. But over half the list, unless I'm really bad at counting, I actually double counted. I, I wanted to be confident. Uh, there are seven of these other things, um, sins against ourselves and, and against God that we might identify, but there are eight of these sins against one another, beginning with enmity, and then we see strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, um, envy, and, excuse me, and envy. Um, so these describe uh, what we would probably consider a very toxic and anemic culture. We would not want to be part of any culture that's full of rivalries, divisions, and strife, and, and fits of anger and envy. That sounds like a horrible situation, but it's what we're prone to in our flesh. It's what we're inclined towards. We're inclined to try to dominate others with, with fits of anger or rivalries, or um, we quietly you know, sip the bitter drink of envy and watch from the corner. Um, we, we are tempted towards these things in our flesh. We are um, driven towards these acts of sin against one another. And so we see we have sin against ourselves, sin against God, and sin against one another. And now, when you zoom out from this, this list of characteristics and you examine it as a whole, what do you get? I, I think I could boil it down to one word. Uh, I boil it down to one word that I think sticks out to me uh, above anything else in this list of works of the flesh. And that is selfishness. The flesh is selfish. The flesh pursues its own way. The flesh pursues its own good at the harm, at the cost of others, at even the cost of ourselves. When we indulge in the flesh, we are indulging in selfishness. We are indulging in our own way. We are impulsively grasping for our own, uh, our own way, our own way of being in the world, just like our father in the flesh, Adam, instead of submitting ourselves as our um, as our, our true head, Christ. So that leads me now to the second option we have. We see that life in the flesh is contentious. Life in the flesh is difficult. Life in the flesh is one of slavery and a challenge. But God has provided another path for those who are in Christ, a path of flourishing. And that is life in the Spirit. We know that the Holy Spirit comes and, and indwells believers. The Holy Spirit, of course, third person of the Trinity, just as the Father um, elects us unto the salvation, just as the Son secures our salvation, the Spirit applies our salvation. 
to us. And as the Spirit comes in and dwells us, he gives us power, strength, and guidance to live out God's will in our lives. And so the path of flourishing is the path of the Spirit, not the path of the flesh. It's not the path of pursuing whatever we want. It is the path of submitting to the guidance and the regenerating influence of the Spirit in our life. So Paul describes the life of uh, the life and, and fruit of the Spirit, excuse me, life in the Spirit with uh, fruit of the Spirit. And of course, that's another analogy. He's, he's describing um, life in the Spirit is what we produce. Again, emphasizing source. For example, like if you were to walk through an orchard, you would be surrounded with just magnificent, well-manicured apples for you to pick from. On the contrast, when I was growing up, our neighbor had an apple tree at the end of our driveway. Um, and those apples, frankly, were nasty. They were, I, I cannot remember one time finding an apple um, that was fit to eat, except like maybe once or twice. And even then it was like much worse than like an apple from the grocery store or whatever. Um, but what's the difference between, you know, these trees that are producing this magnificent fruit in, in an orchard and this just tree that's sitting at the end of my driveway and uh, producing nasty apples all the time? Well, the difference was that those trees in the orchard were, um, were, were high-quality trees. They were, uh, you know, given uh, high-quality soil and um, mulch, and they're watched for pests, and they're given fertilizer. This tree at the end of my driveway sat and rotted. I think it, no, I definitely know it is gone now um, and actually ended up just falling over and dying. You know, the quality of the fruit is determined by the quality of the source. We know that what the Spirit produces in us is good. The things that the Spirit produces in us are of the utmost quality. And so the Spirit produces this fruit within us. Let me read that to us again, uh, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So it's tempting when you come to the fruit of the Spirit to exegete them like individually and go through a lengthy explanation of each one. Obviously, we don't have time for that. I, I joke with uh, I joke with the staff earlier this week, and, you know, that I was uh, I was going to do a like a lengthy word study on um, each of the works of the flesh and each of the fruit of the Spirit. And it, Sermon should be about four hours with two intermissions, but uh, obviously we're not going to do that. We're taking a very general look at this. Um, so I won't examine these one by one. I just want to look, as, as we evaluate this list, what does life in the Spirit look like? What kind of life should the Spirit produce? I think in contrast to the works of the flesh, we see very clearly that the Spirit produces a life of selflessness, whereas the flesh produces selfishness. So in the Spirit, um, we are led into love and kindness. We're led into gentleness and self-control. In the flesh, we're led into um, dissensions of division and, and jealousy and, and fits of anger. I think Paul meant for these two to be a very stark contrast. Because whereas in the flesh, we're led to, to dominate others to get our own way. In the Spirit, we're led to self-giving, self-sacrificial love and, and kindness. Life in the Spirit is much more giving and much less taking. Life in the Spirit is much more 
um, kindness is much more gentleness and much less fighting and, and grief towards one another and hatred. Life in the Spirit produces selflessness, just as Christ was selfless. The Spirit of Christ that's within us produces Christ's likeness within us, just as Christ gave of himself. You think of Philippians 2, where Christ descends from heaven. He comes to earth. He lives in the likeness of men. He lives as a servant to man. He dies for mankind and does all of this out of love and self-control and gentleness and kindness. In the same way, the Spirit that's within us produces that same kind of self-giving, others-focused, sacrificial love. And so, whereas in the flesh we are selfish, the Spirit produces selflessness in us. But also, life in the flesh is just much better. It's just much better when you see this description, excuse me, life in the spirit is much better, uh, obviously. Uh, yeah, when you see this description of life in the spirit, to me, um, the immediate response I have before I even start going through each one is, that sounds so great. And to have a, you know, a life that's characterized by love and, and peace. When you think about living in, in the flesh with this description of just uh, strife and, and sexual morality and, and drunkenness. It just sounds miserable. It sounds like a path of, of anemia. But here in the Spirit, we have one of flourishing as we are called to goodness, as we're called to, to patience. It's so much more rewarding to be patient towards others. It's so much more rewarding and, and joyful to have of goodness over, um, over, over sin and selfishness. So life in the Spirit is full of selflessness, and it's so much better. But that's not the only contrast between the works of the flesh, the fruit of the Spirit, and life in the flesh, and life in the Spirit. We have to understand that there is a danger to life in the flesh, and there are blessings through life in the Spirit. So, as we're comparing these, we see that in the flesh, in the flesh, um, our liberty is eroded. The flesh erodes our liberty, but the Spirit gives liberty. Now, this is counter to what we naturally think of, because naturally we think of... Um, the greatest obstacles to our freedom and liberty coming from outside of us. So we think of, um, we think of like uh, combatants in another country that we, you know, we sent over and take care of business, and, and that's what secures our freedom and liberty. Or we think, of, um, we think of the government's job as being to secure our liberty and our freedom of allowing us to do um, whatever we want. But... We have to be careful at viewing our liberty and our freedom as unrestricted access to doing whatever we want. Because if we view our liberty as unrestricted access to doing whatever we want, we will find that we, are, we give ourselves naturally over to the flesh. As we give ourselves naturally over to the flesh, we become slaves of our own desires, we become slaves of, of our own uh, impulses that drive us to do whatever we want to do. We are driven back to slavery. It's not necessarily slavery under the law. It's slavery to our own passions and to sin. And when we live that way, 
and in slavery to our passions and our sin, there's ultimately very um, severe consequences. As Paul uh, lists in verse 21, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Life in the flesh is life without the Spirit. If we continue in life in the flesh, we have demonstrated that the Spirit of Christ does not live within us, and that is a stern warning. So the Spirit instead gives liberty. Now, I have to be careful at this point. I don't, I don't want to pull a bait and switch on you where we've you know, said this whole time, oh, you know, Christ has given us liberty. We've been set free. And then I come this week and say, yeah, liberty for godliness. Um, and I, I don't want to do that where I'm trying to, uh, trying to switch it up on you and say, no, actually, we are supposed to do just, just you know, live uh, legalistically. But um, what we've been given in the Spirit is true and real freedom. We've been given freedom to live as, as Christ lived. We would, we would never say that Christ was, um, we would never say that Christ was less free, or excuse me, that was, yes, that he was less free than we because uh, he was able to sin. Just like we would never say that somebody on, uh, on death row was more free because at one point uh, they had the choice to murder someone. In the same way, uh, we have been given a path of true freedom, of true flourishing. When I think of freedom, I don't think of just a bundle of choices. When I think of freedom, I think of true and real flourishing. And that's what we're given in the Spirit. We are truly set free in the Spirit in ways that we could never be in the flesh. And so we have that balance returning, right? We see that the Spirit gives us true and real liberty. But the Spirit also builds up our community, the flesh, tears down the community we're in, and the Spirit builds it up. Imagine that if we were, we were consumed with this list of the works of the flesh, we were just consumed with enmity and strife, we were consumed with jealousy and fits of anger towards one another. That would be a truly terrible context. That would not be a flourishing community. No, a flourishing community would be one full of joy, one full of faithfulness, one full of goodness towards one another. That is a flourishing, redeemed community. Soon, we will, as Matthew sent out yesterday, we will uh, begin the process of returning to, to some form of public gatherings. And there are 10 million possible ways to do that. Um, that is to say that you probably are not going to get your way, at least not exactly. And if we're not careful, and if we are consumed with the flesh and not the spirit, we'll be prone to, to respond to this, you know, uh, whether, whether we like it or not, especially if we're, if we're inclined to, to think we should be meeting another way, we'll be prone to respond with uh, dissensions and division. We'll be prone to respond with, with hatred. Uh, towards one another. But if we're living in the Spirit, we will be prone to selflessness. We will be prone to self-giving love. We'll be prone to neighbor love, the one that cares for the people sitting beside us. So as we are called to liberty, we are also called to the well-being of our community through life in the Spirit. So now, I'm going to come now just to give you a couple of words of application as we seek to live these truths out. The first would be 
Examine your actions and consider the source they imply. This is the most natural application of the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. When you see this list, as I said before, it's kind of a diagnostic. It's meant to help you look at your life and determine um, what source, what source am I living from? And to respond appropriately, of course. You know, if you look at this uh, works of the flesh, the fruit of the Spirit, the, the solution is, is not merely to, um, to try to add these fruit of the Spirit to your lives and try to cut out these, um, these works of the flesh just through sheer effort. Um, we have to go, of course, we have to understand what the source is. Some of you know I, I love to garden. Um, if I went out and I saw my plants were just producing awful fruit, they, were, they had blossom in rot, you know, they were just disgusting. My solution could not be to go and buy some good fruit from the store and then go and duct tape it onto the plant. That wouldn't be a good solution. We have to evaluate the source. So uh, examine your actions, consider the source, consider what's motivating the fruit of your life, whether it be the flesh or whether it be the spirit. Take a diagnostic. And then the second word of application would be to crucify the flesh and submit to the work of the spirit. It's not, uh, it's not meant to be um, striving and fighting. It's the humble act of submitting. Paul's ultimate word here in this section that I'm uh, preaching from today, verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Begin just as Christ did in submitting yourself to the act of crucifixion, to the act of laying aside your own proclivities, your own impulses, your own uh, works of the flesh. Submit your flesh to Christ and allow him to crucify it alongside of him. Just as he gave himself for your good, give yourself for your good. <laughs> give yourself uh, over so that your flesh could be crucified. I love you and I respect you, but your flesh threatens to destroy you. Turn your own natural proclivities, your flesh, over to Christ. Crucify it. And importantly, submit to the work of the Spirit. Submit to the Spirit in our lives. It's not... Uh, submitting to the Spirit does not mean, um, you know, like putting a bunch of, like, like putting the fruit of the Spirit up on your mirror and then, like, leaning over your, um, your sink and then, like, giving yourself a pep talk, like, you're going to be joyful today. You're going to do it, you know. Submitting to the work of the Spirit is much more humble. It comes through prayer. It comes through um, encountering the Spirit in the Word. It comes through um, joyfully giving yourself over to the work of the Spirit at the timing of the Spirit for the glory of the Spirit. And so, I pray this week, I pray going forward as we go through the challenges that we have in our church that you would seek individual uh, freedom and flourishing and that you would seek the well-being of our community by crucifying the flesh and submitting to the gracious and wonderful work of the Spirit in your life. Let me pray for